Richard Ashcroft is Britain's spiritual successor to the forefathers of English alternative rock. As lead singer and frontman for the renowned project The Verve, Ashcroft's mysterious and tortured soul entices you into his musical world via charismatic charm, emotional intensity, and sheer fervor for rock music. You're tuned into Roots to Grooves. That was The Verve, a track called History, remastered version on Very this nice. episode of Rooster Grooves. Welcome, guys. I'm Jesse. I'm Jay. From me. I'm Jay. Wow. <laughs> I guess he's going to introduce himself. Fine. Oh, okay. I, uh, I didn't realize you were going to introduce no, me. So. No, introduce yourself. I'll never do that again. Good. Across that, from me is Jay Purcell, the founder of Signal Radio, that we all know and love. Yeah. Check out the latest episode of The Drop Yeah. at the link in the bio. Yeah. Um, welcome guys. We're talking about Richard Ashcroft today here on Roots to Grooves. Yeah. We're here to, we're about to discuss his mindset, mm-hmm. his, uh, accomplishments. Um, <clears throat> and, and, you know, we'll see We don't know what we're going to talk about. Like we never discussed right. what we're going to talk about before we yeah. actually hit record. Yeah. Maybe a lot of people don't know who Richard Ashcroft is. I don't think it's a huge, um, you know, name in pop culture. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is pretty huge. That's the point of what I'm saying is he yeah. is pretty huge. Yeah. Um, but maybe not a, a lot of young listeners know where this guy's coming from. Yeah. Let's start from the top, though. I think almost everybody in the world has heard Bittersweet Symphony. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Is that a big track in America when that came out or some um, subsequent years? Or uh, I think in, I think pretty right off the bat it was. Yeah. Okay. I guess we could talk about that in a little bit. But yeah. I think when it, when it came out in the in the 90s, it was pretty huge. And then it kind of has, you know, stayed culturally relevant. Yeah. In the in the American zeitgeist and the worldwide, you know, yeah. zeitgeist in the music world. Yeah. Um, so huge track from the Verve. Richard Ashcroft is the singer of the Verve, mm-hmm. big band who had this big song in the nineties. Yeah. They were the Verve is like rivals to or you know cohorts to uh, Oasis. Yeah. The Gallagher Brothers. Kind of uh, that Britpop era. Yeah. Nineties um, alternative rock. Yeah. And mm-hmm. they they kind of swung for the fences and hit home runs like the Gallagher brothers with Oasis. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> like songs like Champagne Supernova, Wonderwall yeah. still are heard on the radio to this day. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely bangers, huge. Mm-hmm. And then Richard Ashcroft is kind of like a successor to these guys, mm-hmm. a successor to like Iggy Pop, mm-hmm. um, some of these like big artists. This is kind of one of the biggest artists we've talked about. I guess. Uh, yeah. As far as like kind of mainstream yeah. acclaim. Yeah, and I still think maybe, yeah, it's because he's been around for quite a while. A lot of people might not know him or his solo work kind of thing. Right. But definitely, like you say, Bittersweet Symphony and the Verve kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, he, <clears throat> I mean, how would you describe his music? It's, it's after coming from that sort of indie rock of the 90s, a lot of other bands were around that era. It was a good time for guitar and rock music i would say like you know um yeah everything was you know it was like 80s yeah it was uh you know pop new wave 
stuff everything was coming in like crystal clear and punchy production and stuff and then grunge came and knocked everything down right it was like yeah. no we're let's get dirty let's get grungy yeah and then and then like alternative rock kind of came after that like oh we can do cool poppy stuff with guitars mm -hmm. yeah and all you know 90s alternative rock came in and we're talking about bands like oasis yeah even as far as you know foo fighters red yeah. hot chili peppers that's a I don't know if you've heard of a group called Suede. They were pretty big in no. the UK. I think it's a UK group. Smashing Pumpkins, all of that. Mm -hmm. Bush and stuff like okay, that. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, like, yeah, Britpop's kind of a weird thing, but I think the term, I would say, but, you know, as all labels are, I think. But um, but I, but there were a lot of, like, yeah, UK bands at that time, along with the Verve, that were doing this mm -hmm. sort of thing. And, and so to kind of just sort of say that, you know, as Richard Ashcroft went into his solo realm, you know, he still has that, I would call him now a singer-songwriter, you know. Um, yeah. Just solid, like, songwriting, lyrically, guitar-wise mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, and, you know, there's nothing too um, heavy on, on his stuff. Mm -hmm. I actually don't know if, like, The Verve really did heavy, did they? I mean, they had a lot no, of strings they, and stuff. They were know? kind of in there with... You know, uh, like you mentioned, Smashing Pumpkins. Yeah. Kind of this kind of alternative, heavy, you know, almost reminiscent of grunge, but a little bit lighter, yeah. lighter hearted, but kind of shoegazy. Yeah. Kind of psychedelic. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think some of these terms that we're talking about now describe Richard Ash Ashcroft's style. Like it's it's like singer songwriter stuff. He's writing good songs. Mm. Um, but the vibe is kind of psychedelic and kind of introspective and esoteric sometimes. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> he's an interesting fellow. Yeah. Um, I don't know. We, yeah, we're just kind of giving some background right here. Because yeah. the Verve started in the early 90s. Yeah. Or late 80s. Uh, 1990 is when they officially formed. Okay. When Richard Ashcroft was 19 years old. And we'll, we'll I mean, let me just, let's give a little rundown before we go all the way to the sure. back. But the Verve had like three albums. Yeah. And they, they've been breaking up on and off for years, kind yeah. of. They got back and came out with another album called Fourth in the later 90s. Yeah. Um, but Bittersweet. Bittersweet came out in like '95. Yeah, was huge. Yeah, um, then uh, Richard Ashcroft went on to do a solo career, so he has like three or four albums out now. Yeah, so he's he's making music um, from the past three decades. Yeah, um, so he's been around. He's worked with really great people. Yeah, and he did say that he wrote a lot of the Verve material himself, mm -hmm. like that album uh, that Bittersweet Symphonies on um, Urban Hymns. He said there were like two tracks that some of the other guys wrote, but other than that, he said he wrote. <laughs> it was not, you know, he was like very confidently taking ownership of, of that in an interview I saw. But, right. Yeah. So, yeah, like I think, yeah, that's, I, I feel um, confident in our little background section yeah, yeah. of this. We kind of give the listeners a little bit of an idea if we don't know who this guy is. Yeah. Um, but like you said, confident. Uh, one of the things I wrote down was cocksure because hmm. okay. that's like his attitude. Right. Um, yeah. like just like overly confident almost arrogant yeah <laughs> and, and it's 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 interesting because i was watching watching these interviews and he does come up with this attitude yeah um and he can kind of back it up because he's yeah. you know acclaimed and he's written all these songs and great albums that are worthwhile yeah um but he has hard, had a kind of a gone through a lot of adversity in his life mm -hmm. um and so i guess with that let's let's kind of dive on into that and go into the background a little bit yeah right on so richard ashcroft Born September 11th, 1971 in Belinge. Is mm. that 
Maybe you could help me with these pronunciations. Billings. Billings? Not Billings. Is it, how's it spelled? I didn't see this written down. B-I-L-L-I-N-G-E. Oh, okay. That E throws me off. I have not heard of this place. I've not visited. In England. In England, though. <laughs> um, yeah. I guess yeah. right now he's married to Kate Radley. Right. She's in a group band. She's right? a musician. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought I had read she was um, one of his, like, musicians working with them, like a studio musician while they were working yeah. on albums or something. Cool. Okay. We'll get yeah. into that a little bit later, but... Yeah. Um, but he grew up in Wigan, right? Which is um, that's in the like north a, of England. A suburb yeah. of England? Yeah, it's like a, a large town, 60 miles away from Manchester, 70 miles from, away from Liverpool. Um, Wigan. Wigan. He's, uh, you know, it's kind of a, like a lot of the north of England, it's very, um, uh, what's the word? Kind of hardworking people you know there's a lot of like factories blue collar yeah um there's Working a lot of class. that factory work and stuff like that graft just hard graft kind of thing um and and um yeah he's there he's a supporter of manchester united he played a lot of soccer in his childhood mm -hmm. as well similar to actress who we talked about mm -hmm. he was also a baller yeah who these guys were wanting to be professional footballers but Richard kind of fell out of interest in it because he just wanted to be, he said he just wanted to be like George Best. He was a really famous player um, back in the day, he played for mm -hmm. the, the England national team as well. Cool. And um, yeah, and he said they just, when he was playing football, they just tried to change like the way they were running the game. And he was just like, nah, this is too, too analytical now or whatever. He didn't say that, but I'm kind of Football just thinking. ain't like it used to be. Exactly. <laughs> Um, so but, he turned to music, like you know, mm -hmm. pretty and, young. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Right. I was just yeah. gonna say off what you were saying. He's he's always been interested in music. It seems like yeah, um, from when he was young. Mm -hmm. But his family was kind of poor. Yeah. Um, so he didn't have a lot of access to musicians, or uh, I mean, mu musical instruments, right? Yeah. Um, tape recorders, yeah. Musical equipment in general. Yeah. Um, so I guess I mean yeah, he was interested in music. So he'd start taping it off the radio. He said he had a knack for finding songs when they would pop up on the radio, ones that he wanted to hear that were maybe five years old. Right. Came out five years ago, but you know, he'd turn tune into the right time to be able to grab that song off and, and put it on a tape. Cool. And yeah. uh, you know, listen to it and, and love it. And this is where he was kind of getting his initial uh momentum, yeah, inspiration yeah. and just yeah. starting to dive in. Um, in his in his mind, without even having touched an instrument, I, I mm. do you know anything about his first instrument or anything like that? I don't. I couldn't see anything. But I didn't come across. Uh, but definitely, by the time he was a teenager, he was playing guitar. He was singing. He got together with the other guys in school and college. I think they said they started rehearsing in college practice rooms, kind of thing. Well, he but, was when he was still in in England yeah. or in Billings. Yeah. Um, he was attending the Up Holland Comprehensive School. Right. Is that what you're talking about? Or is that more of a high school type um, thing? I think that might be, yeah, a, a high school. That's what I was but, imagining. Yeah. But he was he was attending that with future Verve members. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Simon Tong and Peter Salisbury. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, then, yeah. So Winstanley College was where they he went afterwards, and I think with those guys as well. So it's like after finishing high school. Okay. That was the college. The only one other thing I wanted to touch on before we move on to his college days and the 
subsequent music career yeah. um, was a little bit of the adversity we touched on. His dad yeah. had passed away of a blood clot when he was 11 years old, yeah. which is a shame. Yeah, which is something he says that um, oh, obviously it was impactful in not a very good way. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. that's a terrible thing to happen. And he said like he found himself being sad at, at school and recognizing that and thinking like no kid should be this sad kind of thing you know right and i think probably that's why the music took more of a hold within him at that point as well because he's even said he wouldn't be doing music that hadn't happened to him as far the passing Mm -hmm. away um so so it was kind of a catalytic type event yeah in his life that set him down a path yeah pivotal and um yeah and really sort of changed his outlook on you know what he was going to do and his just personal beliefs and feelings, mm-hmm. I think. And yeah. And obviously he hasn't really, I haven't heard him say this, but like it seems pretty sure to me that the music is what really kind of gave him that therapy. I think like, you know, to deal with that. Cause it's kind of interesting, right? We mm-hmm. talk a lot about a lot about musicians that use music as therapy. Yeah. Cause you can work out ideas or feelings or emotions by putting them through lyrics mm-hmm. and, on a back bed of like emotional music and a lot of Richard's music is very orchestrated sometimes uh, specifically, you know, with like strings and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he um, does tend to make yeah. music like that. That's, that's yeah. got that flair for, you know, kind of drama. Yeah. It's not like sultry, but yeah, it's very yeah. emotional. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just kind of, you know, heartstring type feelings when you're listening to the music. Yeah. Um, um but yeah, I mean, he's so his mother was a hairdresser as well, and oh, good, good, nice. I yeah, that. he said he used to uh, spend a lot of time in the in the salon with his mum as a kid, and he said he kind of misses that in a way. It's like a good way of like connecting with the community, just being mm. around the people the coming good old in. Days. Yeah, um, hustle and bustle. He uh, and I think his mum did like remarry at a certain point. He had a stepfather as well. Yeah, um, I, I did want to yeah. touch on that real quick because yeah. it was interesting because I think his stepfather kind of let him down or influenced him in some ways mm. because this, this gentleman was, um, and forgive me, I don't, it, I'm going to try the to say this word. <laughs> yeah, Rossi Crucianism. Yeah, Ro- Rossi Curians. You know what I'm talking about, though? Yeah, yeah, I did not know what this was until I did my research, but mm-hmm. um, they said it's a spiritual and cultural movement um, that arose in the early 17th century. It was built on esoteric truths of the ancient past, which concealed the average man. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm reading very terribly this passage here. but No, no, <laughs> yeah, but we're, we're, that's yeah. exactly what I was um, wanting to touch on. Yeah. But like you said, built on the esoteric truths of an ancient past. Yeah, um, interesting. The manifestos do not elaborate extensively on the matter, but clearly combine references to the Kabbalah, Hermetism, alchemy, and Christian mysticism. Mm. So, I mean, yeah, we're, just, we're probably reading the same articles about this. But yeah. uh, just the perspective that, uh, that Richard's stepfather was coming from seems yeah. to have imparted a lot of this kind of wisdom and you know, esoteric ways of thinking into ashcroft's mind yeah did you hear him talk about this because i haven't really heard him talk about this skin here sorry ross koreans i can't say it rossi 
Yeah, right, right in if you know how to Please let that. us know. We'll put the, the spelling on the screen right now. There you go. Um, but yeah, do you think, I mean, yeah, did this have a lot of effect on him? I, I'm just, or, I'm just yeah. putting two and two together based on yeah. like the, the interviews that I was uh, reading or mostly viewing yeah. and seeing how uh, Richard Ashcroft responds to questions and how oh, he, yeah. mm-hmm. how his answers, what, what his answers mean. It yeah. just seems like he's really introspective and he thinks about how these things affect him and how yeah. it affects him as a person and what, yeah. you know, how music, you know, what, it, what that music means to you and how it could be cathartic for you and how you can express yourself. And he, he's kind of introspective that way. Yeah. And I think he got some of it from, from this, you know, way of, um, I mm-hmm. don't know if it's a philosophy yeah. doctrine, right? some kind of, you know, way of life. Yeah. It's like a, it's not really, it's not a it's religion. Not, it's right. not a, uh, yeah, they call it a spiritual and cultural movement. So I think it's just like a way of looking like at the world or something. Similar to like yeah. transcendental meditation right. or, or probably more contemporary like mindfulness. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. but I mean, just good stuff, just w- a way of thinking about the world and through a kind of lens of perspective. Yeah. to help you understand yeah and i think he took along some of this with the rest of his life yeah and you can see it in his lyrics for sure um which are you know introspective and psychedelic sometimes as yeah. well as the music yeah um so it all kind of is wrapped up i think yeah um but yeah that's yeah awesome that's basically all i got in his early life yeah he does i think have uh, a couple of sisters or one sister he has two younger sisters also like where he grew up wigan he said because we sort of t- said it was like kind of a factory hard graft town there isn't really well he was asked by one interviewer who's from that similar area like it's kind it can be a hard place to grow up it can be quite tough mm-hmm. violent at times like very sort of actually like if you kind of think about that episode we did on idols about how he was talking about toxic masculinity mm-hmm. and how those images are projected on young men in the UK kind of thing. Uh, um, like, I feel like some of that kind of environment was going up. So therefore, basically saying that, like, if to pursue an artistic endeavor was not really common. Mm-hmm. I, I want to say it's not encouraged, but, you know, I think it, it was, like, not expected of people to be choosing. Mm-hmm. Like, you should go work and go do this sort of stuff mm-hmm. not, not try and be a rock star or something like that yeah but like, so so he kind of had that and i think he said that's also like why he wanted to pursue the music because he kind of wanted to like he i think he's someone that thrives off when all this the odds are stacked against him mm-hmm. and depressing him and telling him and not to do something or you can't do things that's when he just rises up and it's like no i'm gonna right. not <laughs> he's gonna fight again that he's against authority is against you know, it's kind of a rebel in that way, you know, mm-hmm. which is... Yeah, so yeah. what you're saying yeah. reminds me of, I don't know if it's time to, to maybe play it, yeah. but um, that song we've been talking about, Bittersweet Symphony, probably right. maybe the biggest song um, in the video, the music video for that, he's, yeah. he's it's just a, basically a video following him walking down the street yeah. and he's walking and everybody else is walking the opposite way. Yeah. And like he's bumping shoulders and kind of like they're in the way, but he keeps going through. Yeah. And it's kind of like a, a good you know, symbolic, um, I don't know, just the, the video shows kind of what he's going through in his life as well. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's I, kind of a good little microcosm for how he yeah. 
interacts with the world and how he sees that like he's trying to make his way yeah even though people are in his way or telling him oh you you know you come from this blue collar town what are you going to do right even though he's still you know and he made it yeah so and it was I, a very like well thought out video as well like i heard him talk about how he very carefully considered how because he didn't he said the song was so good in his mind he didn't want the video to distract too mm -hmm. much from it. He said there was even a scene where he gets beaten up at the end, but he, took, he asked them to take that out because he didn't. He thought it was like going against the sort of message he was trying to portray in the video. With right. Like, yeah. Um, so, but so, should we give it a spin? But yeah, yeah. Well, no, yeah. Just, I mean, yeah. yeah. Should we play Bittersweet Symphony right now? Yeah. And if you like, watch the video along yeah. with us. We're going to listen along. And uh, let us know what you think. Bittersweet Symphony from The Verve. Big track. Absolute classic. Came out in 1997, but still holds up today. It does. Even lyrically as well. Um, yeah, it's very poignant. Yeah. And it's kind of funny, like yeah, he said, it's like you wouldn't say that that would be a top hit. He mm -hmm. said the lyrics are kind of depressing. Yeah. You know, but. Um, You're a slave to money, then you yeah, die. Yeah. And I think it really spoke to people though and kind of reminded me a little bit of, um, it was that era, this came out a year, this track came out a year after Trainspotting, the movie was released. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever seen that. But, mm, no. Um, but like there's a really like big sort of mon monologue towards the end of that movie, like Choose Life. Um, it's kind of a famous monologue. I, I won't say it all, but basically like the sentiment is kind of like, you know, we choose all these things in life to do, like a job, relationships, like, um, but, you know, the mundane everyday life, I think, kind of thing. And it's like, is that really exciting? Is that is that all we're living for? Or mm -hmm. is there more? And this song kind of reminds me of that movie, that sentiment, that monologue. And it was interesting. It's the same sort of era. And I think mm -hmm. that time in the UK, there was a lot of that sort of introspection from like young people in their 20s thinking about all of these things, you know, mm -hmm. like kind of like, the class structure that kind of exists in UK, you know, um, yeah, the think, wealthy and the poor and like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I think in some ways it was starting to be clear that there was these discrepancies in the, the classes and like, Hey, these people are living a different life than, yeah. than these people are, even though we're all sharing the same space. Yeah. 
Um, and I mean, yeah, that comes out in his music and especially this song. Yeah. And this is this this song is kind of like the high point. Like other artists love this song. Yeah. Um, the the masses love this song, and because it's, it's so it's coming from that blue collar place of like not knowing anything else, but like having to fight your way. Yeah. You know, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And like it's a struggle for for us all. Yeah. And so he's very much living that, and I think that's why why he comes across as so like real and and um. Re- resonates with so many people because he's he's telling the truth yeah yeah and i think like uh even as he's become more wealthy he says he, he like he loves the fact that he can like drive his fancy vintage cars to like golf courses and have like the wealthy elite kind of snub their noses at him because they're like why did why is he this guy here yeah like, i'm not sure in the golf course exactly this, <laughs> this guy and he loves that. He's a bit of like an antagonist. Like he kind of likes to do that. I think to be like, he, you know, I, yeah, so. I get the vibe. He, yeah, you know, I don't know. He or he's just always known that kind of, yeah, um, underdog energy, like bad boy energy. Yeah, but like on the inside, just he's gone through adversity and yeah. you know he, some heartfelt stuff, and he's trying to figure out who he is and what his place is and what all this means. Mm. Just like we all are. Yeah. Um. And no, he's just searching, and yeah. he. I think he wears his heart on his sleeve a little bit and is honest. Like we were saying, he's really um, confident is a, a nice way to say it. Yeah, definitely. Um, and he yeah. is, and he's just not afraid to say what he thinks, yeah, yeah. which is um, what's, you know, um, admirable right. in some ways. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. Sometimes it's hard to do. Yeah. Um, and I guess the other thing about that track is it was a little bit controversial because of that string line. Apparently, it, uh, they, it was based on a Rolling Stones track but they sampled like a version that someone else had recorded or something. And they were supposed to use five seconds of it. And apparently the Rolling Stones found out that they used slightly more than five seconds. Right. The manager sued them and they successfully won all of the royalties for that track. And, uh, so all of the royalties, all the money that that song generated went to Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. And they had to change the, the writing credits on on that to include Mick Jagger and yeah and yeah so the the Verve and Richard Ashcroft got nothing yeah for years for years until I think like the last couple of years they changed it and they've the Stones have like relinquished their royalty interest in that and now it's gone back to Richard Ashcroft so right um but yeah it was the that original string section was originally performed by the Andrew Lug Oldham Orchestra yeah as far as I know Okay. Um, the string arrangement was David Whitaker. Okay. Nice job. Um, so I guess it was the Stones' former manager, the Rolling Stones' former manager, Alan Klein. Right. Um, who owned their pre-1970 catalog. Okay. And he claimed the Verve had used more than they were permitted to, and so he sued. Yeah. He won. Yeah. And he, so, he, I mean, I guess he pocketed all the royalties from Bittersweet Symphony. Yeah. Um, and the songwriting was recredited to Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. Right. Yeah. So I mean what a what a situation. <laughs> it's kind of heavy handed. I mean, I guess like, you know, you have to make a point about royalties and copyright and make sure set precedents. You I mean, know that you can't just do that. But at the same time, I feel like there should be some kind of artistic uh blah. That <laughs> word, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I mean 
Like, you know, okay, you know, we know you what, used it, but that's just, but we appreciate what you did with it. It's a good song kind of thing. And I mean, yeah, let's, let's talk yeah. about it because it's yeah. interesting because a lot of, you know, hip-hop people are using samples and stuff. Oh. And, you know, maybe it's kind of um, uh, what, like polarizing. Some people are all about it. Some people say, no, don't use that. Yeah. Um, I kind of find myself in the middle because it's all good. Um, but like, right. I think they, they asked for it. They got the sample cleared, but then yeah. they used more than they asked for is what I'm understanding. Yeah, which is crazy. Cause they didn't just release it without getting permission. They did actually go through right. proper channels to clear it. So, so it, it seems like so, it's yeah. kind of their fault. It's like, hey, can yeah. I use five seconds of your song? Yeah. Thank you. We're going right. to use six. <laughs> like, hopefully they don't count the, the seconds I, of the they, sample. They probably, they, they were like, they're not going to count. They're not going to count. <laughs> probably didn't care until it became a number just release one. It single and then we're like uh who knows but, some of the background of this story yeah or about or, uh, who was really hurting or who who cared at that moment yeah it, it could have been an accident yeah and i think um you know it doesn't seem like that richard ashcroft really gives a shit about the situation i haven't really i think he's i think it sucked and he didn't like it but he wasn't didn't I, seem to be very vocal about it or am i wrong I get, on this like, no i think say, you're yeah, right but yeah. i think I'm and just guessing as a person, yeah. um, researching this guy and just kind yeah. of perceiving who he is. It yeah. seems like he hurt him a little bit. Like he feels like mm-hmm. he should have gotten more notoriety for this song that yeah. so many people vibe with. Right. Yeah. And it's just kind of you're just. It feels like he's hung out to dry. Like I did this, but I'm not literally not seeing a dime from it. Yeah. The song's on the radio. Yeah. Mick Jagger and Keith Richards are getting all this money. Yeah. So I could I could see and put myself in his shoes a little bit yeah. and be like, it feels a little unfair. Yeah. But on the other side, if you asked for the sample and you knowingly used more than the sample, yeah. it, what are you asking for? Right, yeah. So I, I don't want to say either way. It's kind of a tough situation no matter what. Because I think in 100, 200 years, yeah. people aren't going to be saying, well, who had the sample first? Right. Like they're just going to be like, what? cream rose to the top yeah. and stayed there and i bet bittersweet symphony is still going to be yeah. you know listened to or at least in the history books hundreds of years from now yeah and no one's going to be really like being like well who you know with the andrew luke oldham orchestra wrote that and they should never have used <laughs> that yeah, yeah you know i think and further on a thousand years in the future people are going to be looking back and caring less and less where yeah. where these samples came from or who originally had it yeah it would only you know the cream rises to the top something that's really good that people of the world vibe with that's yeah. what's going to stay in the zeitgeist yeah and stay on the radio yeah and i think like also like the attitude to sampling is different now than it was when it first came about when it first came about people thought like oh you're just playing someone else's record and mm-hmm. then like rapping on top of it or whatever yeah and it's like that's that's just not being original so you know but also the art form of sampling has progressed and become more artful in itself and now i think it's an integral part of making music because if you think every, pretty much 90% of the music that's released has a sample in it. And I'm saying not just a loop or a melody from another record, but literally like drum sounds or piano sounds. No, you're using superior drummer. Yeah, like somebody yeah. was in a studio hitting a drum at yeah. different levels. And now that's being reincorporated into different music and mm-hmm. messed around with. And, and also you think about there's only a certain number of notes and combinations as well. Um so I feel like the collage mishmash of reintegrating and repurposing things is a really like important component to music making now, I mm-hmm. think, in this day and age. But 
Yeah, 100%. Um, and I, one yeah. step further that my brain wants to go to is like, what about cultural appropriation? Like, uh -huh. is it okay for, you know, a white guy to be playing black music? Like, mm -hmm. shouldn't we all just mix it up at this point? Like, mm -hmm. does it really matter? Yeah. We're only going to allow, if your color skin is this color, then you can play music like this. If you're this color, you could play that. Mm -hmm. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. And obviously it's not like that. Yeah. White people yeah. have gotten super popular off playing like, um, historically black music yeah, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, vice versa. And it's all getting mixed up, except we all like perceive it. Yeah. We're like, Oh, well you're, you're culturally appropriating my favorite artist from 50 <laughs> years ago. Yeah. I mean, everyone can get upset about anything really. It seems like, I these guess days, that's the isn't point. it? And that's the point. It's like, <laughs> you know, and I think like the other thing about this song as well, they did like, uh, for example, they, the verb received 175 grand for the use in an advert of the song, um, but they didn't want it to be used in this advert. Um, I think the label just did it against their wishes or the mm -hmm. publisher or whatever. But they so received the money. They received their money, but they gave it all to charity. So they didn't even keep it. Like they didn't want it to be used in this ad and you know. Yeah, but, so that, that yeah. 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 How does that work? Should that money have gone to Keith Richards and Mick Jagger or uh, Alan Klein? An, yeah, that's an interesting one. I, don't, I think it's different like, for a sync thing you're paying a fee, you know, because they did r r produce this song, The Verve. They mm -hmm. used that sample, but they wrote lyrics. They recorded other instruments. Right. So if they own the recording, you know. Um, yeah, fair enough. Version, I guess. But yeah. I don't, I'm not a copyright guy, though. I don't know if there is any lawyers out there that want to write in and give us a bit more insight into... Yeah, I think this will like, still continue <clears throat> to be kind of an interesting story, yeah. you know, for years. Yeah, yeah. For, for the people involved and for the people looking out from the outside. So yeah, yeah. if you guys got any information on it, let us know. That's it's, yeah. it's certainly interesting to us. And you did dig up the original Stones version and I haven't heard this. So I, can we just spend a little bit of it yeah, to see what this sounds like? Yes. The, this track is called The Last Time from the Rolling Stones. I'm waiting. I'm waiting to hear the sample. We're waiting. The, the, the melody. Like. like you said, it doesn't sound like it would be in this song. This yeah, thing. This doesn't seem like the same kind of bittersweet symphony vibe no. that you might think those strings are on. Maybe it does. I, I hope I didn't co completely get this wrong <laughs> and this is just a random Rolling Stone song. Maybe it has a turnaround. And it just, I think maybe. We'll see.
I just read something on the World Wide Web. Am I wrong? No. So what happened is um, uh, the orchestra um, arranged by David Whittaker, who you mentioned, they did an orchestral cover of this song, but the portion that the verb sampled is not part of the original Stones song, but it's part of the the orchestral version. So now I'm wondering why the fuck Rolling yeah. Stones are entitled to any royalties. Yeah, so how are they? <laughs> they had nothing to do with this and they've been getting paid for this Whoa, for years. And maybe years. that's why it's so controversial as well, because people are like, what the fuck? This isn't actually in this song. I mean, that's what we're going through like yeah. this very moment. Like, yeah, yeah, we're like, what? Why do these guys deserve this yeah. money? That's, that's insane. Okay, so should, wow. we, should we try to pull up that, that cut, see where it's actually. Yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do some live. Uh, can we fast forward this? Researching. Um, can we fast forward this? So they based this song off of that Rolling Stones song that we just listened to. Yeah, but they kind of did their own thing on it. Right. Their own spin. I would say that if anyone should be having the royalties, it should be the Andrew Oldham Orchestra. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they completely invented that melody. Yeah. And recorded ex- it on yeah. their own separate instruments that had nothing to do with the Rolling Stones. Right. Yeah. This is a cool track, though. It, it is. It's fun. Yeah, it's like that. Got that sixties. It reminds me of like Hawaii Five O. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. Damn. Well, thanks Man. for hanging in there with us while we researched this and figured that out. Yeah. We wanted to get to the bottom of this uh, once and for all here on Rooster Grooves. Yeah. Talking about Richard Ashcroft. It's been interesting so far. Yeah, and I know we've sort of spent an unordered amount of time. Oh, words are a thing. Blah. That sounded um, gonna... on the verb. Oh. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> hopefully it's we, we, to, we yeah. fast forwarded some of that for us. Yeah. Maybe we could get like a quick motion. Yeah. Fast forward. We'll just put do it the chimp monk speed up. Yeah, section. Little, <laughs> yep. Uh, but yeah, cool. So yeah. Well, I'm glad we got to the bottom of that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. That's been one of the kind of interesting things about Richard Ashcroft's life. Yeah, yeah. From from that point, and on whether he liked it or not, unfortunately. Yeah. And so, like they did. Yeah, like I said, the Verve were on again, off again. Um, Richard Ashcroft did write like the majority of the songs for the band. But like all bands, they had their issues. They had their, um, you know, uh, rubbing each other the wrong way type stuff. Right. Um, some of that, I think, came from being on tour with each other as well. Like Just normal. Yeah, like just being together for such a long period of time and really um, working hard as well because Richard always, like he's said about playing live that it's not exactly something he approaches to have fun with he he actually calls it like a fight like mm. it's like going into battle oh right he, yeah. he kind of has that relationship with it yeah it's not like yeah you know, fun and games feeling good and free on stage it's like he yeah he i mean he's fighting himself is what he's saying yeah 
And I think it's just to really get like the performance, like rather than just rocking up and just doing the show, he's, I interpret this as him really putting all of his heart and soul into mm-hmm. a performance, you know, for every show kind of thing, which if you do that night, day in, day out, night in, night out, that's going to really take a lot out of you, I think. Like, and that seems like yeah. maybe that's what is happening and why, yeah. why he kind of exudes this attitude and this presence. Yeah. Um, because he, he, I, he, I think he's extremely like heartfelt. Yeah. And he's trying to communicate that and he, almost for better or worse, and, and yeah. for worse sometimes maybe for him, yeah. you know, he's doing this for his art, for, for us, yeah. you know, for the audience, for the listeners. Yeah. And he's, he wants to kind of go through that and, and be very real with everybody. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm sure that's, that's difficult. Yeah. Like, it's like putting yourself through trauma over and over again. Yeah. yeah. Type of deal. Yeah. And um, yeah. And he's also like, he, I think he was in Kansas on tour as well. Had, had collapsed from dehydration, was put on a drip, stuff like that. You know, um, really, he's really putting his all into it. Like, saying how his legs would give way as well, like feeling like his legs were like that of an eight-year-old man after <laughs> being on stage and jumping around and yeah. all that sort of stuff. Um, um, so but, a couple of housekeeping while we're here. Yeah, yeah. We're here in the mid-90s. Yes. Richard Ashcroft and The Verf have released three albums, including um, Urban Hymns, which is a, you know, a yeah. home run. Yeah, yeah. Certified classic, basically. Yeah. Um, and I would say start with Urban Hymns if you want to listen to Richard Ashcroft. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting because, yeah, it took them, it, the first two albums didn't really make a mark, but this album did for them. Um, and it was funny because they said back in the early days when they were teenagers or like early 20s playing all these pubs with the Verve, like they said that he went around telling everyone, like, you know, we're going to be like famous. We're going to, like, our third album is going to be a success. He mm-hmm. said that years before, before putting out those those albums kind of thing. And again, the confidence, the, well, the I, you know, and 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 to wrap it around, I mean, basically, this guy's spiritual, and he was learning from. Um, I can't say that word again. That <laughs> Rosicrucian, Rosicrucianism, okay, something. But there's yeah. some kind of mindfulness, transcendental yeah. meditation type way. And like yeah. as I see today, like spiritual people talking about manifesting and creating, mm-hmm. and like believing what you're gonna have and feeling like you have what you want before you get it. Mm-hmm. And he was basically doing this, yeah, yeah. Um, and and to the point where he was he was telling people and you know, people in the media and stuff in interviews that like like I believe I can fly, yeah. Like I'm gonna tell myself that. And he earned his his nickname um, Mad Richard, right, in yeah. the media, yeah, during yeah. this time. Um, but yeah. like I said, a couple housekeeping just to get caught up. Um, I think it was around this time, mid '90s. Da 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 da. Um, there was a he entered into a protracted legal battle with an American jazz label. Oh, really? Titled Verve. Uh, okay. I think they were an ama- um, American label, and yeah. they were like, "Hey, that's <clears throat> our name. You can't use that." Well, wow. <laughs> leading Verve to change their name to The Verve. Oh wow! The, I, I didn't. I think I might have heard this. Yeah, but because the Verve label was pretty big, big jazz label. Mm-hmm. There were some greats on there. They've done a lot of reissues. They're still around. Nice. Yeah. Not that I know too much about them, but I just wanted to throw that out there while we're here in the mid nineties. Yeah. Um, and then I guess I guess somewhere along here too, um, we're talking about Oasis, who were also popping off in the nineties. Yeah. And uh, Noel Gallagher, yeah. one of the singers, one of the brothers of the of Oasis, 
yeah. wrote a song called A Northern Soul. Or no, I'm sorry, Richard Ashcroft wrote a song about Noel, yeah. dedicated to him called A Northern Soul. Yeah. And then Noel Gallagher from Oasis, in response, yeah. created a song called Cast No Shadow, yeah. dedicated to Richard Ashcroft. Yeah. Um, so just just to show who he's kind of mingling with and what he's meaning in the in the greater music scene, yeah. Because um, at this point he's, you know, Oasis is a legendary legendary band who you know is dedicating a song about Richard Ashcroft. So that shows what yeah he means to them. And they went on tour as well, I think, Verve and Oasis, which would have been a crazy that would, thing to see yeah. now in hindsight. But no doubt, yeah. They said they did crazy things, like they would like. It's one of the stories is like they got caught breaking into a church in the middle of the night, Richard Ashcroft and Noel Gallagher, because they ran out of booze and they thought there might be some wine in the church. <laughs> so in Sweden, they're, they're doing this. <laughs> but it seems like a great idea. <laughs> yeah, at the time. It's like, yeah. We need course. some blood of Christ. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, somewhere, uh, I guess in 1998, mm-hmm. moving along, uh, Richard Ashcroft was named Songwriter of the Year mm. at the Ivor Novello Awards. Okay. So prestigious award. Right. I've heard of that. Yeah. So he's just kind of killing it. Yeah. He's just kind of killing it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, I mean, where are we? Where do we want to go, Jay? Well, so I guess we could fast forward to his first actual solo album. Right. In the early 2000s. Yeah. Alone with Everybody, which came out in, yeah. What year was that? Um, 2000 the year 2000 yeah you're right did you already say that i just blanked you out <laughs> no i i said early 2000s early 2000s. <laughs> that's what i thought um and the title of that i think he took from a, a bukowski poem alone with everybody is where he took that title from okay cool um and yeah it was obviously at this point 2000 his first solo release verve no longer they broke up and he was known in the UK. And so there was a lot of um, interest and anticipation for this album, I mm-hmm. think. Um, and and he did it. And uh, to me, the album now sounds a little dated in the production quality, to my ears kind of thing. Um, almost sounds like it could still be early 90s or something like that mm-hmm. versus 2000. But Kind of stuck to that sound. Yeah. But it's yeah, still like if you like the Verve, pretty much all of his albums have kind of had that same uh, sonic palette um, right. of instrumentation and, and but so. rightfully so, not yeah. not to say anything else, but rightfully so because mm-hmm. he was kind of one of the artists creating this exactly, sound yeah. that we know yeah. as like our alternative Brit pop now. Yeah, and we all know and love these huge mega hits, and he's kind of one of them to pave that way. Yeah. Yeah, so sure. You no, know, yeah. good for him. Just to pay some homage to him. Yeah. Um, and I guess yeah, since we're in the early two thousands, mm-hmm. um, what was I going to say? Oh yeah, so he played. They played a show with Coldplay, right? Another English, yeah, yeah. you know, huge band. Yeah. And they did a, a show Live Eight. Yeah. Which and if people remember, Live Aid happened mm-hmm. right in the eighties. Yeah, I think big charity fundraising events and like classic performances you can mm-hmm. go on youtube seeing bands like queen and stuff um phil collins i think all, the, yeah. all those 80s uh, yeah phil collins things. made it his yeah. name because there yeah. was a version of the show in i think america and in england and he yeah yeah 
based on how the time works, he was able to do both by playing a show and then immediately hopping on a plane and flying to England. Yeah, yeah. And then in the, like oh, the same yeah. day, that's crazy. Yeah, played. Yeah both versions that's insane which yeah. is amazing <laughs> that that's a whole podcast in itself concord i think he flew concord to make it was that like happen. a speed plane right yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 which is defunct now we don't even use that exactly yeah bring so. it back bring back the concord <laughs> that's what but we're safely people <laughs> um yeah so live eight was the uh, same people i think bob geldoff and midger are the guys behind that did the original live mm-hmm. eight and did live eight and yeah coldplay were on mm-hmm. and um I'm, I'm not sort of fuzzy on timing but i think there was a certain point where i think like richard ashroff's um i don't want to say fame but i think the interest from the media and public was waning a little bit mm-hmm. and, and i think it was like chris martin from coldplay that you know was really sort of championing richard ashcroft mm-hmm. telling his fans no, you need to like go listen to this guy again. And, yeah. Know. Yeah. So yeah. what they did yeah. at this concert mm-hmm. was Coldplay was playing their set and they brought up Richard Ashcroft yeah. and Coldplay and Richard Ashcroft did a play Bittersweet Symphony yeah. for the Live 8 show. Yeah. yeah. So pretty yeah. amazing moment because yeah. Coldplay is, you know, such a huge, you know, local band from that area as well. Yeah. You know, regionally local. Um, yeah. And, and it's, yeah, go ahead. Um, no, I don't know what I was going to say anymore. You go. <laughs> Um, I also, uh, Richard Ashcroft said he kind of wanted to make the point also that he doesn't really pal around with like famous people. Like even though that Coldplay, Chris Martin has championed him, got him on stage for this, and let got, me, let got me him just, on tour and stuff. Yeah. Let me just say real quick, cause I, yeah. that's what I was going to say, but Coldplay, Chris Martin, when he was up there, he said, um, Richard Ashcroft is the greatest singer in the world and here he is to perform the, the greatest song in the world. Right. So obviously, yeah, yeah. you know. Just saying very nice things about Richard Ashcroft. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but then Richard said, like, yeah, they didn't they didn't really ha- they don't hang out. <laughs> like he said he doesn't really know Chris Martin or anything right. like that. He he kinda wanted to say that. And also like he was asked, like, you know, would you have wanted the verve to have had the success that Coldplay did? And he said no. He said he would he said he wouldn't give any of his songs in return for like Coldplay's oh, right. fame or anything like that but i did so. i did he did say richard ashcroft did say that chris martin of coldplay would love to have had bittersweet symphony as, as yeah a coldplay song exactly yeah <laughs> which is a kind of an arrogant thing to say i would say yeah, yeah well yeah yeah but like no i don't want to be coldplay at all but coldplay probably wants my song <laughs> like okay it's the attitude fine. yeah i but, mean yeah fine can't really mess with that. Uh, it's, he's an Richard Ashcroft is an interesting person because he has this. You, so you could say arrogance or bravado or whatever, but it's not really. I think bravado is a fake thing. He Richard Ashcroft has the natural embodiment of these things. He, it's not a put on, and he's actually genuine. No, that's that's the one difference. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, you hit it right on yeah. the head. Yeah. He's not like putting up a show or putting up defenses like. Yeah, I'm this good. I'm this cool. He's like actually speaking the truth, and he believes yeah, it exactly. Yeah, yeah. and it, that is a, certainly his truth. Yeah, and you know that's the person that he is. So I back him up. Yeah, should we t- time for another song? Yeah, I think so. I want to play uh, a song for lovers, which is I think is the first song off of his first solo album, came out in two thousand.
A song for the lovers from Richard Ascroft's first album, Alone With Everybody, um, here on Signal, here on Roots to Grooves. Yes. Yes. Um, we are on Signal. Yeah. We are the Signal. Yeah. We're signaling you, <clears throat> the listeners. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, so yeah, you can hear that bombastic energy that he brings to the table. Yeah. S- similar kind of vibe. Um, vibe. Is of, uh, of the verb. Yeah. Well, yeah. Vibe of the verb. Yeah. <laughs> verb vibe. The vibe. Um, yeah. Like, definitely. And that was, um, that was a great album. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I that, mean, he brings similar energy. He, he, I don't know, he, he, he likes that string energy, that kind of thematic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, in a dramatic flair in his music that yeah. seems somewhat consistent. Yeah. And I think uh, Will Malone is the guy that he works with who arranges the strings for all of his records. I think all of his records. He also did the uh, Bittersweet Symphony, I think, as well. Strings on that. So they, yeah, not to labor the point on Bittersweet Symphony, but it was a sample, but I think there were some additional strings that they They, incorporated as well to sort of round out the track. Enhanced. Yeah, yeah. Embellish. So, yeah. Right on. Yeah. Cool. So, I mean, then, yeah, he comes up with another album. He has three albums in the early 2000s. Yeah. Or in the 2000 to 2010. Yeah. He, 2002, Human Conditions. So another album he did. Um, he said he got some negative reaction for this album, I guess, like critical reviews or something like that. Um, and that that was like when uh, Chris Martin from Coldplay kind of came out in support of the album right and his work and stuff yeah. like that i think maybe off air you were mentioning during this time like he would he would he would um possibly his his clout was like he was underground a little bit like people weren't yeah. recognizing i think yeah i don't want to say the fame thing but i think like maybe the media attention or whatever was yeah. going fading a little bit for him or something like that right um you know but he's just doing his thing consistently i haven't really he hasn't strayed from his style and his his strong songwriting craft and technique kind of thing. You know? Right. So, yeah. So whatever people say, I don't think it's, I don't think the music has changed or gotten worse or anything like that. I think it's just probably like the media, you know. Well, like yeah, we've like, talked before in different yeah. episodes, like mm-hmm. the, the energy of the general population of music listeners yeah everyone's kind of concentrating on this and then it wanes and oh they're thinking about this and yeah every though you're you're creating things right here and sometimes things are going to vibe with the popularity and sometimes not but you go in and out as you create yeah if that makes any sense to anybody i think there's (laughs) there's another reference or uh, another episode to reference that i was talking about it but if you don't know then maybe i just sound like a crazy person right let me throw us a quote real quick yeah uh, by richard ashcroft um just kind of describing how he thinks and and his perspective. People are afraid to use the word spiritual. I'm a firm believer in songs coming from an unlimited pool, and you have to be in a certain state of mind to get them. You don't know why you're in that state of mind. Sometimes it's a dangerous state of mind. But I know where my influence comes from. It comes from the universal mind, mate. Mm. That's great. Kind of cool. Yeah. 
That's the, a lot of confidence. He knows where he's coming from creatively. I yeah. Think. Like, yeah. And and yeah, it's mm. it's cool. That's where he's drawing his 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 music from from this. Yeah. You know, it kind of a kind of a spiritual muse. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So so yeah. very cool. Yeah. Then uh, album number three. What was it? Two thousand five. Um, two thousand six. Keys to the world. And so this entire time uh, since Verve got signed, they were signed to Hut Records, and Richard Ashcroft's first two albums came out on Hut. And then this one, he had to sign to Parlophone because Hut Records apparently just disintegrated, <laughs> is what they said. Oh. Basically, I think they were bought up. Um, well, they were always a subsidiary of Virgin, apparently. Um, and then I think like a certain a certain time they were like um, get, being more absorbed by the corporation sort of thing and less attention was being paid to Hutt's artists and everything like that. So he managed to get on Parlophone, which is another great label. I think Blur are on that. Oh, okay. I was aware. Barn. Yeah, they have a lot of like, great artists um, on that label. And um, yeah, Keys to the World. Another great album and a lot of touring. And then 2016, it was quite a long time between that album and the album in 2016, These People, which came out. And he said he, um, he, he sort of did step away from music a little bit, I think. He, he said it wasn't... He said he was still doing creative things. Like he said, he did still play shows, although they weren't really heavily promoted. Um, mm -hmm. He was still writing and recording. Um, but something interesting he did, he he decided to um, quit the internet, basically not using the internet. And he got rid of his phone for like four years. And he basically did a whole like digital detox, I guess. Oh, really? The, the way they say it, yeah. Um, and uh which i think is a is a good thing and i yeah i think maybe you know he talks a lot about i think a lot of people know this or talk about this about the 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 kind of idea that we have to be constantly on or constantly accessible like you know mm -hmm. someone messages us we have to like respond or whatever straight away otherwise people are like why didn't they respond to my text message <laughs> right yeah i sent you a message you're obligated to send it back <laughs> yeah i'm guilty of that sorry friends and family but also, that's because I kind of treat my text messages like email or something. Yeah, <laughs> just like like business, like a hey. kind, of, a kind of like oh, oh, I don't respond immediately, which is maybe bad on my part. But, right. Um, yeah, and this is something I've been thinking about recently as well. Like, even though like we're doing all this content for the internet with Signal and Roots to Grooves and everything, I still need to find time in my days and in my weeks to not really look at the internet or social media or stuff like that um it's easy to just yeah pop it open and get sucked into it yeah yeah and it's like you gotta fight against it yeah i find myself i used to be one of these people who would check like facebook five times a day or something and now i check it like twice a week yeah and because i forget about it or whatever i just it's not as um important for me to to see Good. that stuff i think you know and yeah richard ashcroft um did this and uh came out with this album these people which i think you know like thematically and lyrically is kind of um some of it is commentary on our modern day society and how it's changed and you know 
politics and UK and the US and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think he's really overtly political. Maybe he's always, to me, he seems a little like we're saying introspective lyrically, so and philosophical, right? And I think that's where he comes from. And I think you know, for me, I get the impression from his music that it's like it's kind of like a reaction to us being humans in this day and age and what we have to say about that and the ideas that we have in our head and how external things affect us, society and other people and stuff like that. Like, that's just my thought on the... No, I think that. I think that's yeah. um, right on the money. Mm -hmm. Right here I have popmatters.com says, uh, the best of what Ashcroft does best, thoughtful incantations, incantations teeming with emotion, Emotion, clarity, and vision. Mm -hmm. So, there were some deaths as well. I think that happened in his life. Um, his longtime guitar tech Rex passed away. Also, Richard Ashcroft's manager Jazz Summers passed away. And Richard said he got really close to Jazz Summers over the years, and uh, you know he didn't feel right about um, working on music or doing like career stuff mm -hmm. whilst he was like, you know. Because I think, I don't know how Jazz Summers passed away, but it sounded like he might have had an illness and was kind of suffering for a little while kind of thing. Yeah. And so he just wanted to be be a friend to him mm -hmm. like in that moment, you know, not think about career and work and music and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. So mm -hmm. it, it sounds like he's, uh, you know, Ashcroft, Richard we're talking about is, uh, I mean, he's pretty consistent. Yeah. And he, he lives, he lives the things that he says. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's cool. Yeah, I got a good quote. Um, he was asked um, what advice he would give for his younger self. He said, get a crash helmet immediately and buy lots of emotional body armor mm. because it won't be a bed of roses, but you're on the right path. Keep believing in things that people tell you are, are impossible and dream on. So there you go. Like really have faith in yourself, your, your dreams, what you want to accomplish. You know, he's also said stuff like about, um, you know, musicians uh, that are like in their room or whatever, creating, recording material. It's like, just don't listen to anyone. Like you don't, most of the time you don't need validation from anyone creatively. You just, maybe you might need help in other aspects of your career, like the business side of things mm -hmm. or the money or the marketing kind of thing. But, but he's really like someone that, promotes the idea of finding that creativity within yourself believing in it and and then doing it and not mm -hmm. compromising your creativity for mm -hmm. anyone or anything and you know it's probably like he's he also does not uh miss being in the verve he said or being in the band kind of thing mm -hmm. i think that's maybe another part of it is because maybe he wasn't fully feeling like he could be fully creative in that band environment and he needed right. to do his own thing solo like in order to really fulfill his dreams and ideas and stuff like that mm -hmm. just kind of what i get from <laughs> no, having think, read about I, him and stuff like I that think, yeah. yeah i think that quote you said just a minute ago you know wraps up this episode pretty nicely about what yeah. richard ashcroft is about yeah um that's one of my biggest takeaways how um you know, in some of these interviews, he comes off as almost closed off or cold mm -hmm. a little bit, like, like visually. Yeah. Like, no. Wearing the sunglasses. He's with, got... With the reflection Just like on a it, douche so. just wearing sunglasses <laughs> inside at night. Um, you know what I mean, though? Yeah. Um, but then, like, the things he says are actually very truthful and 
and realistic yeah. and, and human. Yeah. And he seems to live this. Yeah. And he seems like he's really, you know, attached to these deep feelings and he tries to, you know, yeah. make sense of them. Yeah. Yeah. And he, yeah. he, even if he comes off as this kind of a little bit arrogant, mm-hmm. um, sometimes, you know, he can, he does back it up because he has lived this life. Yeah. And he has achieved these high goals. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know, just, yeah, testament to his, his, his yeah. honesty. Honest, I feel like he's, yeah. he's a pretty honest. I think he's confident, musician. honest, and has a lot of integrity. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, I know some people, some people say there's a fine line between confidence and arrogance, you know, mm-hmm. but I don't, but I don't think there's anything wrong with being fiercely confident. I think, you know, we should all try and find ways to have conviction or confidence and certain aspects, you, gotta. you know, if you don't believe yeah. in yourself, nobody else is going to. Yeah. Yeah. That's the key takeaway from this episode of Roots the Grooves, and I think maybe, I'd, yeah. Look into to Richard Ashcroft because yeah. you can learn some cool things, especially with I don't know the things his his stepdad was talking about, with yeah. these kind of mindfulness, yeah, uh, perspectives and stuff. I feel like it'd be good if he did like a book or something like that. Yeah, no, he he seems to have a lot of of, of yeah. true wisdom and and yeah. cool perspective. He did have this one idea that he wants to do. Apparently, I think he was serious. It sounds a bit funny but he said he wants to do a musical um about him and oasis and he said <laughs> it, it would be a musical where they 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 tell the story of their childhoods and their lives separately kind of thing and how they crossed paths and where they went and kind of thing like turn into like a rock opera i don't know i don't know what that would be. a musical it doesn't seem i don't know how that i mean i'm sure it would be be interesting if it's executed well right i would go see it yeah he was asked who would play him and he said well it has to be me (laughs) oh right yeah i think yeah i think i saw that interview yeah he's the only one who's lived that that life right he's the only one who could do it yeah exactly yeah but uh uh, yeah richard ashcroft everybody yeah that's all i got on richard ashcroft i thought it was really interesting one this was jay's pick this week yeah very interesting character and a lot of content to dive into yeah, I would, I'd start with Urban Hymns. Yeah, um, one of the one of the th- quick things we didn't talk about was he. We've talked about James Lavelle. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and DJ Shadow. Yeah. During our DJ Shadow yeah. episode, one of our first two or three episodes. Right. Um, yeah. and Richard Ashcroft worked with um DJ Shadow on the Uncle Project. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there was a um a track that we had in our playlist. I think maybe we should close out with that track. Oh, sure. That'd be a good one. Okay. Um, so yeah, but I mean, yeah, he, I don't know, collaborated with the chemical brothers. Yeah. Um, on the, on his, on his last solo album in 2006, I think it was, or the second or the third solo album of Richard Ashcroft. Um, he had Brian Wilson doing some background vocals. Oh, wow. Really? That's crazy. Squeeze a little tidbit fun fact at the end. Beach boys. People don't know. Yeah, yeah, Beach Boys fame. Yeah, um, I love Brian Wilson. Yeah, you've mentioned this a lot. I he's one of my, he's my, he's my main ex- dude. I have to explore more. There's some what? great stuff off, yeah. off to show you. Yeah, yeah, off air and on air. Yes, uh, but that's all I got on Richard Ashcroft. If, if everyone's in agreement, we'll close out on this cool Uncle track. Yeah, this is actually one of my favorite songs. Very cool. Um, I know we haven't played much of his solo material on the show, but. Yeah. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff out there and we encourage you to go stream, download, mm-hmm. buy a vinyl or two or whatever. 
Um, but yeah, this track "Lonely Soul" is one. Of, this is off of like one of my favorite albums of all time, science mm-hmm. fiction, Uncle. Um, and yeah, if you want to write in, without further notice, have you got any fun facts um, about Richard Ashcroft or Uncle or Brian Wilson? Let us know. Jay, what's that email? Roots to Grooves at signalradio.com. S i g n l radio.com. God knows your lonely souls Grooves is a production of Signal Radio. For more music and independent culture, visit signalradio.com. That's S I G N L radio.com. <laughs>